0: Familia, I wanna first thank you. Thank you for your prayers for the McBride family. I thank you for your prayers, your words of encouragement, your texts, your cards, and everything in between social media as well. Encouraging my husband, Rob, and the the loss of his father this past week. I just got back from Arkansas this week, uh, and I have experienced a gamut of emotions. We were planning to go to Arkansas so that I could officiate my brother's wedding, so celebration and joy there. And uh, Rob and Nash went ahead of uh, me before I got there. And the day after they arrived, uh, my father-in-law had a massive stroke. And Rob and Nash found him in the, on the bathroom floor. So you can continue to pray for them that they will be able to enter the gates of grief. That grief would be their friend and that grief would, would be a gift in this time. So I'm, I'm back here and they're going to join me in, in a few weeks as Rob is helping his mother get settled. So first, thank you for being our Familia during this time, and also I want to let you know uh, that I've been given many an opportunity to not preach the sermon today. <laughs> Bobby has said left and right over and over and over, and you don't have to come back for this. You can stay longer. I did stay a little bit longer, but I do believe that God has given me a word. Uh, Doug reminded me a few weeks ago of a sermon that I didn't preach, and Serena reminded me again on Friday of a sermon that I didn't get to preach. Uh, because of the little mint service that we had, if y'all remember after what happened in Buffalo, I was like, I have a sermon that I have <laughs> So that's creative grace. Creative <laughs> grace that God knew that that sermon was for it today and it actually fits with the passage in the book of Acts. So we're in a sermon series and called Moved by the Spirit in the book of Acts. And Pastor Bobby, a couple of weeks ago, preached on the movement of the Spirit that is always moving us towards liberation. And so this is an in-between story, the story of the book of Acts And life. I've told you before I love to nerd out on the fact that Luke and Acts are together in one scroll. And that's important to me because this is an in-between people, an in-between story where they're trying to figure out what to do and how to be and how to belong as a new community. And so they're in between stories, in between the resurrection of Jesus and in between uh, the resurrection of Jesus' people. These are Pastor Bobby's words from last week. And in between the resurrection of the Son of God and the resurrection of the people of God. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Bobby said something that has stayed with me since then, that those held captive by power don't know nor want the power of grace that those held captive by power don't know nor want the power of grace my prayer for you and i and us today would be that today we would understand the power of grace and so we find ourselves in acts chapter 6 verses 8 through 15 and if you open your bibles there or your bible apps or if you just want to look at the screen uh, in front of you Actually, i have to have a different version over here so let me read from us from the screen Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God They stirred up the people as well as the elders as well as the scribes Then they suddenly confronted him Seized him and brought him before the council. My version says they dragged him Picture that in your mind. They dragged him before the council they set up false witnesses who said, This man never stopped saying things against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intensely at him, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. The first thing that I want you to notice is that Stephen is walking in the tradition of Jesus. The Jesus that had just been walking to his cross, to his death, also had had to face multiple trials with multiple witnesses, with several false witnesses. Sound familiar, right? So he is on trial like Jesus. As Pastor Bobby preached and y'all talked about last week in the communal reflection of scripture, which I was creeping on the live stream last week, so I was here. (laughs) Y'all didn't know I was here. I saw some of y'all's faces. Um, And y'all were talking about this community that had just picked Stephen and six others to serve tables. And I love the interaction that y'all had because we had great curious questions, great courageous questions about this group of people that had just been picked. To serve tables so the apostles said you know we, we want to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and so someone else has to work um, has to serve tables well funny story the one that was about to serve tables is about to preach a sermon even though he wasn't picked for that Stephen was a servant first before he preached a mighty sermon beware of a pastor who doesn't wash the dishes so Stephen is invited and picked among a group of people, a select group of people, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Thanks be to God that now we also have good women, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Um, and they put him in charge of the task of serving tables. And he breaks this apostolic succession among the disciples. He's, he's the first one, not among the disciples, to preach a sermon. And also he is not Jewish, He's Greek. So he's a Gentile. So what is the spirit doing in this irony and in this turn of events? All of a sudden, the margins become the middle. Just like we say here at the church we hope for, the margins become the middle. The ones that didn't want to serve tables end up watching this situation in Stephen. His witness gave him the ability to go preach the word. See, sometimes we are really fast at learning to grab that mic and preach a word, and it doesn't match a witness. So the witness and the word became a threat to those in power. We lean into those words of, oh, grace and power. Stephen was full of grace and power. These were men of uh, great wisdom and, and full of the spirit. But I want you to see that this witness and this word, this servant's leader, was a threat to those in power. And I want to lean into that word, grace. I want to lean into the person of Stephen before we see him killed. I don't know if Pastor Bobby's going to preach about this next week or the week after that. I don't know. But I wanted to lean into this chapter, into this particular moment where Stephen, a man full of grace and power, can give us some lessons about grace. Grace, the first thing that I want to say about grace is that it is a gift. And I wonder what what images you have of grace, what definitions you have heard before of grace. And I want you to be thinking about that. Grace is a gift that comes from God. It originates in God. The way that I've heard it said before is that it is unmerited love that is undeserved favor. Have y'all heard that before as well about grace? I was looking it up today as well and another definition of grace, it's divine influence. On the heart, I love that. In the in the in the original language, it says that it, the word is caris. Y'all know that about pronounce pronounce something well in English or in whatever. I just say it in Spanish. Caris, caris, caris. caris. Divine influence on the heart or graciousness. I was talking with Nicola. Um, last time that I was going to preach the sermon on grace, and, and we, we thought about what's, what's the word for grace in the Old Testament? How does grace have a history in, in, in the story of Israel and in the story of us? And she said, I think the Old Testament name for grace is hesed, the word for loving kindness, the word for steadfastness, that comes and originates from God first, because God's love is constantly pursuing us. One time my son Nash asked me about when he was about seven years old He asked me what? What did it mean that God always has loved us and that God's love is infinite? And I said Nash it's it means that God's love just keeps going and going and going and I did this with my hand because of course I'm Nicaraguan. when I, mean, God, I want to talk with my hands And I was hoping that I could help him understand what he was saying And Nash said oh So God's love goes to all the places where it is missing. And I said, yes, child, you're the one that's not getting the seminary degree, but yes, that is beautiful. God's grace going to all the places where it is needed, where it is missing, not because the presence of God is not there, but because there's something in us that needs God's graciousness, God's loving kindness, God's steadfastness. Even and especially when we find ourselves in moments where we don't deserve it. So we were talking about the, when, when was the first sign of God's grace in the origin story of, of God and us and humanity. We thought about the fig leaves. The fig leaves being the first covering as an act of grace to cover shame. It's hard to describe grace. And many of us will have images or words or definitions about God's grace, but the best way to describe it is when we tell a story. When we tell a story about grace, God's loving kindness unto us through somebody else. My freshman year in college, I went to TCU. I came to the US at 18 years old and I had a scholarship. Um, I was smart up here, not always smart in other places, of my life and I was partying too much my first year in college and I lost my scholarship. I lost my scholarship and here I am, you know, first generation Latina immigrant and um, I was so ashamed of what had happened, ashamed to even tell my father that um, that this had happened. And so my sophomore year, I couldn't register for classes. I needed at least like 25% of tuition to be able to register for classes and I did not know what to do. I told my college pastor at the time who he and his wife were discipling me, and um, he was really concerned about what I was going to do, and he did not want me to drop out of school. He did not want me to drop out of school because he said if you drop out, it might be hard to get back in, and he really cared for me. So I was sitting in my dorm room one day, and of course I had no cell phone, uh, but back then you have the old phone that rings, and the phone rung and Gordon said, hey, Inez, I'm sitting here with this nice lady named so-and-so, I don't even remember her name, and I'm sitting in the registrar's office, and I've, I've talked to this lady about your situation, and she's going to allow you to register for classes. But I need you to get here right now, because I'm talking to her right now, <laughs> you know? And I just, I, I, I could not believe it. I hang up, and I run to the registrar's office, and I was just shaking, because I knew I did not deserve to register for classes. I had committed a mistake, and, you know, too bad, so sad. My dad said, I'm sorry, there's natural consequences for your actions, and we have no money to help you pay. Like, if he had had the money, maybe he could've helped me, but he couldn't. And I tell you, that was a very humbling experience for someone like me, who was always number one in her class. I didn't like being number two. I was a little bit prideful back then of what I could do and uh, achieve with my mind. It was hard for me to say I can't register for classes I felt very ashamed but y'all I don't remember what Gordon preached the Sunday prior or the Sunday after that but he preached a mighty sermon when he walked into that office and advocated for me to receive unmerited favor amen thank you God and I know that if we opened up the mic in the floor right now we could all tell stories and I have Many more stories like that, many more colorful stories about my own life and my own mistakes and transgressions where I received something that I didn't deserve. Such is the grace of God. Such is God's grace that has saved us. And such is God who always is sending someone to be the conduit of grace. There's times when we are the objects of grace, and there's times that we are the objects, the, the conduits of God's grace. There's times that we are the object of God's grace, and there's times for us to be conduits of God's grace. Stephen was both an object and a generator, a subject of grace, and I didn't want to quickly jump into his phenomenal sermon in chapter seven and then his subsequent death and eight until we pause and wonder, what is this grace? Full of sign and wonder. I so appreciated Joel, Pastor Joel, what he said about sometimes God's grace comes in the fire and the wind like the story I just told. And sometimes I wake up with breath, especially after having buried my father-in-law, And I'm just thankful that I can breathe the first breath this morning. A spirit, a wind, a breath. Thank you, Joel, for reminding us of God's grace. We must be attentive to it. The text says that Stephen was full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among people. So the first thing that I want you to remember is that grace is a gift that originates from God. The second thing is that grace is a sign. Grace is a sign. We want to jump to the power and the, ah, you know, the sensational. But grace is also a sign and a wonder among God's people, among what God is doing. I'm sure there was healing happening, but I'm sure there were some moments of grace that were only known between two people or three people or four people. Grace is a sign of God's presence and God's spirit because you have to be dialed into the spirit. You have to be dialed into the spirit in order to be a conduit of God's grace. It may be easier to receive God's grace when you need it, harder to extend it. Grace is spirit given, grace is spirit received, and grace is spirit sustained. So I say that grace comes in the form of manna. It comes new every day. Can't use yesterdays, can't anticipate that it will be tomorrow, but it is a daily grace, a daily bread. You can't extend what you haven't received, but even then, it's really hard to extend. It's really hard to extend because my flesh, my flesh, y'all, My flesh wants to give you what you deserve for what you did to me. That's called revenge. That's called retribution. My flesh very naturally would want to give you the non-grace life. My flesh, if you have hurt me, wants you to get what you deserve for the wrong done to me. If I'm honest, and in this church we're honest, beginning with the pastors. Grace withholds retribution and revenge. And that's a hard word for me to say and embody, and I know it's a hard word to receive. And then extends what you don't deserve, what I don't deserve. Grace is an invitation to change. Grace in this story is not static. Grace is being moved by the spirit where the spirit is saying, the old you thought it was good enough, but I'm making all things new. Beginning with your bodies that need some resurrection. Beginning with your deadness inside that needs some aliveness. That is grace. Beginning with us, we must first be the objects of that grace. Grace. Grace is always an invitation to change because we have said that all is good enough. And this is what these people were saying. You're coming to do what? To change our customs. They were not open to change. They wanted to remain the same. But grace always invites you to change and not to remain the same. So grace kind of grates at me sometimes. If I'm honest just kind of grates on my nerves, grates on my heart. But when I tasted it, when I tasted it, that moment when I walked into the office at TCU and I had to beg for mercy and grace, and other times when I had to say, I am sorry, I've made a mistake. I have hurt you, would you forgive me? So many stories of grace. Y'all, grace is a greater power. Grace is a sign of God's presence in God's spirit because y'all, you and I cannot do this apart from the spirit. It, it, It has to be the resurrected life. And grace is the greater power. In a world that is obsessed with power, in a world that has so many power inequalities, obsessed with the misuse and abuse of power, Stephen's grace was a threat to those in power. And it probably happened in the most ordinary of moments, in the most ordinary of times. Not always, maybe, in great sermons. Because before he preached the sermon, y'all, he was waiting tables. He was serving. Maybe nobody saw him. That's why we don't have. A full story of how he served tables, but we have every word in the next chapter of the sermon he preached. Grace, especially received and given and unseen, is a greater power for a world obsessed with power. Don't skip the part where he's serving tables because he is serving grace. He helped those widows get what they needed. He saw the inequity between certain ethnic groups. and He saw the inequality and the lack of inclusion. And he's saying, listen, what the Spirit is doing among, among us, the Spirit is doing a new thing. A new thing. So how he went about serving tables, how he went about doing that grace was powerful. Grace, grace provides a grounding and a centering for Stephen. Nicola was telling me this is her line. Grace cares more about the person than the rules and the law. Let that sink in. The irony is that faithful Jewish leaders were afraid to lose power. Because this grace, they could not withstand it. They could not stand it. This love is a bit too scandalous, a bit too inclusive. What is God going to do? What do you mean Jew and Gentile together? I don't have to be proximal to those people. Now these widows are asking for the same amount of food because equity is expensive. Everybody loves equity until you have to pay a woman the same as a man. cares more about the person than these rules and these laws but they were resisting the movement of the spirit they were resisting this change because there was no imagination for anything different in verses 12 and 15 in chapter 6 says and they stirred up the people the elders and the scribes and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. I mean, it was causing them to execute violence. This was a a mob that was enraged. And they put false witnesses and said, this man incessantly is speaking against this holy place and the law. My version says, because we have heard them say that this Nazarene, if that isn't a racial slur, this Nazarene coming from that town, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This Nazarene is going to destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. No, no, no mention over the people that God is going to love through them, but you're coming to destroy this place and change our customs, and we're resisting that. In the next chapter, which we're not going to go into, in, in a really long sermon, I think Pastor Bobby and I's sermons are long, but this one was really long. <laughs> Acts chapter 751, Stephen says, You men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. And your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. And you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart is a pretty big word, like big language for back then. What that meant was y'all are not welcoming the grace of God, that God is doing a new thing. Grace is a great power, and it is a threat to the world, obsessed with power. But grace is also good news. It was good news to Saul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 10 and 11, it's not up there, Alicia, no worries, don't be looking for it. Saul, Paul is writing in the story, but he knew that his name previously was Saul, a man desperately in need of grace. And Stephen's story intersects with Saul's story in a very thin moment in time where Saul is a persecutor of the church oppressing the church. The least, the most unfit apostle, he says, the persecutor of the church, an oppressor and a murderer. They cross paths. Because in the next chapters, he's right there when they kill Stephen. Saul, who needed God's grace, says as Paul to the Corinthian church, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can you let that sink in your heart for me? Paul says, For by the grace of God I am what I am, and God's grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored, labored even more than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now Christ is preached. Paul is preaching of this grace and is able to say, by by the grace of God, I am what I am. You should have seen me what I was. And you should see that God has saved me, is saving me, and will continue to save me. The grace of God towards me, Paul says, is not in vain. Church, the grace of God in your life is not in vain. Church, as the Spirit leads you in your own life, <clears throat> where in God's life, in your life right now, do you need God's grace? Do you need it for a co-worker right now? Do you need it towards a roommate right now? Do you need it towards a friend right now? Grace is good news, and it's sufficiently powerful to counter bad news. Imagine that we can say with Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and then collectively what we can do as a community, as a family, by the grace of God, we won't be able to withstand. Verse, after stirring up the people, I'd like to go back to verse nine, actually, or verse 10 in Acts 6.10 they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. Because of grace, they were unable to cope with the spirit of wisdom that that Stephen was speaking with. When we set our gaze on grace, watch it transform you first as an object in need of grace. And when we continue to have that spirit-sustained desire, God, to, I'm going to need your grace today. Because yesterday's grace for that person is gone. <laughs> it's gone. I hear Bill's laugh. Thank you, Belle. <laughs> I, I cannot stand. I'm going to need some new manner of grace today. Because Lord, in my flesh, when you set your gaze on grace, watch it transform you. And watch it transform the other person in front of you and transform the person in front of you. Where are you in need of God's grace as you stand before people um, or powers or things that are threatening the grace of God in your life? And it can be something as subtle and simple like Pastor Joel was saying, for me, it's perfectionism. I may not be standing in front of a, a trial or tribunal being accused of anything but perfectionism, oh, I see an accuser of my life. It says that if things are not done perfectly, to the T, that I will be unloved, and that I'm not worthy of people's love if I don't do things perfectly. Perfectionism is my false accuser, and it chips away at my grace, it destroys me, and makes life miserable for everyone around me, as my husband, <laughs> and my child as you stand personally and as we stand publicly as a church that both wants to be objects of God's grace and conduits of God's grace where do you need the grace of God in your life for you first and for others grace is also gritty it kind of kind of sticks it kind of helps you Kind of helps you stand the verse says what it says in verse 10 that they couldn't couldn't cope they couldn't withstand The NRC says my version says that they couldn't cope Grace helps you stand in the truth Even and especially when you are being accused or you have been charged of something that threatens your identity Your sense of belonging your livelihood I I, I am just in awe it's a sign and a wonder to me to observe Stephen and go to do this? How could you stand? Because he was speaking from a place of he knew who he was. He knew who his redeemer was. He knew that God was going to be faithful. And when it says that they saw him and saw his face like the face of an angel, I think it's because they just couldn't, because grace transforms the way you speak, the way you act, the way you just are. And it changes your face. And those around you notice they're like dang there's just something different about this person like grace is very attractive it draws us to someone when you see ungrace you walk in a different direction <laughs> thank you belle for that no, no see I'm serious and I have been probably at many times times when my family's is like we're just gonna leave her alone right now but can you imagine a community that collectively Has stories of grace? Stephen is a storyteller. And in this church, we are storytellers. What could it look like to tell the story of grace? From a place where we have to self-implicate in our own violence and say, Man, I needed grace. I knew it. I was a fool. I, I could have said that better. And I'm having to walk back and say I'm sorry. It's a different kind of resistance. So when 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 Stephen tells him the next you know next few verses you know you've been resisting the Holy Spirit, the the, the grace that the Spirit gives you is a different kind of resistance. Has a different source, and the origin is God, and it cannot come from you because if it came from me, I would break this down, right? <laughs> Stephen could have thrown in the towel in verse eleven and say, you know what, I'm out. I'm out. I've been falsely accused of being a heretic. Come on, Pastor Bobby. You got the documents to prove it. I've been falsely accused. I can't with y'all's false witnesses. I can't with these false accusations. Y'all are more concerned about your customs and people. You don't care about people. You care about policies that benefit you. Uh, They they, they were afraid of change. See, what's the role of fear in this? In these Jewish leaders. What they're afraid of is... Is change and actually they're not afraid of change, they're afraid of loss. Because most usually the people in power, when change comes, what well, they're afraid of it's not of change, it's loss. Stephen could have said, I I'm not here for these false witnesses. That's what they did to Jesus. And do you see how we ended up? Nope. Uh, y'all are more concerned about customs than people, and you're afraid of what grace can do. but you want power. Grace precedes power. Let us not jump to the power, to the power here, of what may look sensational. But, but what it would look like to stand in God's grace, where I am in need, but by God's grace I am saved, and continue to be saved. Grace helps you stand in the face of an oppressor. But don't miss that grace is available here for both the oppressor and the oppressed. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all of Paul's letters. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the story of Saul who was right there. He was watching the coats in the next two chapters. He was watching the coats while they stole Stephen. The servant who preached a mighty sermon with his words but also with his witness. Grace receives the Spirit of God. As we're singing very beautifully, still hungry, so with the waters, it sounds beautiful until it's time to resist the Spirit and say, No, you're not going to make me ask that and do that. um, Grace receives the Spirit, but greed, the greed for power, resists the Spirit. I believe in this story of Stephen. There's an invitation towards grace. And I pray that your heart would be tender today, tomorrow, next week, as to what that invitation is for you. What that invitation to to grace. What that invitation to to either receive it, extend it, be an object of it, or be a conduit of it. Because, y'all, God awaits to be gracious to us. There is preemptive grace stored up for you and I right now. God waits to be gracious to us. And God hopes to be gracious through you as well. God waits to be gracious to you, and God waits to be gracious through you. Don't block God's grace, even if it takes 10 years for you to do so. It's okay, because grace takes time. God waits to be gracious to you, and God hopes to be gracious through you. That's not done with us and God forbid I stand here in front of you making you think that I'm above you because every day I need God's grace to continually transform me to be the conduit of God's grace. Let me pray for us. Señor y Padre celestial te damos gracias por tu amor por tu gracia por tu bondad y por tu misericordia. God, I thank you that it is by grace that any of us have an opportunity to be saved. God, that it is by your grace that from the moment we wake up, you don't speak a word of condemnation to us to the moment we lay our head down at night. Your your grace is always chasing us. God, may we not be uncircumcised in heart, but may our hearts be rendered open so that your grace is just breathed in through the whisper, through the wind, through the fire, through the silence of you, God. May grace crack open our hearts to see it as a gift, as a sign, as a greater power, that your grace, especially when we extend it, it's not gonna be in vain. It's not less than power, but your grace is a greater power that can change the world. God, may we be objects of your grace this week, and God, may we we be conduits of your grace as a community, as a church, a familia, that when people hear about this church they go oh my gosh those people they just love so deeply they care about the people and the and the person first before the rules and the law and the customs that have to change god it's, it's it's some scandalous grace up in that church god it's so scandalous it kind of bothers me god oh may grace not leave us stagnant or uncircumcised or unmoved. But may your grace move through us like a river, God. Because great is your grace, God. And great is your faithfulness unto us, God. Thank you, God, that you offer up this grace not with a single tone of condemnation. You are the God who speaks to a woman who committed adultery and said, where are your accusers? Grace loves and draws near and comes close and covers your shame. God, I pray that as we go about our week and our day individually and collectively, that we would carry your grace and that we would Put a blanket of comfort around those that the world might say they don't deserve grace. They don't deserve love. They don't deserve equity. They don't deserve to belong. God, pierce our hearts with your tender grace and may it begin with me. May I be able to say, by the grace of God, I am and i am still becoming thank you that you love us with an undying love and thank you that you pursue us and chase us with your great grace and loving kindness and i pray that every person that leaves this room today would know how loved and beloved they are and how great is your grace towards them in jesus name amen